Hello and welcome to Q&A Quest. I can't talk. Okay, let's try that again. Hello and welcome to Q&A Quest episode 310. I'm your host, Mike Apps, AK Wheels, with me as always. Uh, fighter in the streets, David McBurney, Family Master. And currently navigating um, Kafka's Labyrinth here, your manager, Michael Baker, Jima Nogatari. That reminds me of one of my favorite uh, Onion video articles that was just about uh, the uh, consumer unpopularity of the Franz Kafka International Airport. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> That's a very good one. Yes. Uh, so, we're a little early tonight. Yeah. <coughs> Also, I have the sound turned off on the stream, but I can hear it anyway. <laughs> yes, I imagine so. <coughs> Music in this game is fantastic. Uh, hooray, Koshiro. Hooray. Uh... <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, so yes, this, this game is great. And also, it sucks. Do tell. Uh, the map controls are garbage. Oh, that's a shame. Absolute garbage. I don't. It looks know like the auto can... map is pretty decent, but yes, I have. If you didn't want to use that, yeah, I have full auto map on, and that is the way to go. Because messing around with these controls is tedious and annoying as shit. It was kind of always going to be that way, but it is a mild shame that they couldn't figure something out. Yeah. <clears throat> it's funny to have the map just in the corner while you're fighting. <laughs> yeah, it's a little weird. Uh, I mean, everything else... <coughs> I mean, it's still entering Odyssey 1 through 3, so... There's great... And it looks like they did a good job of uprising it. Yeah, dungeon crawling, great. Uh, if you... If you loved manually doing all the map stuff in the original games, this will be painful. If you were there mostly for the dungeon crawling, these are fine. But turn on full auto mapping. There's still some things you have to fiddle with manually, but it's not that bad. It makes it so that you don't that. have to use the not great <coughs> interface that much. Yeah. That's honestly yeah. probably the only way I would have interacted with it anyway. So maybe yeah. I'll pick it up someday when I see the <coughs> sale. I mean, these games are still absolutely uh, worth playing. Um, before you get on, I was talking with Gaijin and also Fireminer, who's yeah, who's I see watching, he's been interacting yeah, about how like these games are like the cream of the crop as far as like first-person dungeon crawling goes, and most like it wasn't just the gimmick; they were particularly good versions of this wizardry style formula. Exactly, like most of the other stuff out there is really bad, and this is kind of like leagues above everything else that's out there. Hmm. It's a real bad in a way that certain fandoms really like. So that's a problem. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, different I strokes. Have similar but... issues with some of the Fire Emblem clones I've played. Mm. I could see that. They're, they're they're often they're often made by huge fans of the series who think Thrakia six six seven wasn't hard enough. Oh yeah, that's uh. that's kind of the thing that you get with like these very uh, these genres that are very popular with kind of grognards is that the that kind of person wants something to challenge them and that makes it just 
completely unplayable to anyone that is not just immersed and seeking that exact kind of challenge. Which, I mean, more power I've to got... them, but I'm still not playing them. <laughs> so let's see, what's this one game I've gotten my desktop here that I haven't actually looked at in ages? Uh, this one, it was... Oh, there we go. Um, Pirate 7. It's a nice game. Cute story. I'm cute. Seems like it has a good story, but currently I've been stuck on this one battle for almost two years now. It just only goes oh, back to five months. And um, I have yet to figure out exactly what the narrative sequence of the battle is, because it's quite obvious that in order to survive your five units against, I think, 30 counted. Mm -hmm. Oh, you have to which way you're going to go first, which way possibly reinforcements might show up. And it's obviously a losing battle at the start, and I have no idea how you're supposed to turn that around. Like, if the point was for your party to get wiped, I would say that, that was fairly clever, but since it's evidently not... It's not. No, no. <laughs> I usually, I go into this and I'm like, oh, please, please let this be a narrative wipeout. Please, no, I'm expected to win this. Oh, crap. Yeah, no, I don't understand the mindset that produces such an object. Even, like, <laughs> Saga Frontier 2, the Battle of South Mountaintop, at least they had the... That's right, we're here the uh, race to make a make it a not necessary to win battle mm -hmm. because the entire point was to take force the team that you were playing as in that battle to retreat <laughs> uh, let's see um so yeah uh wheels playing atrian what else have we been playing Zelda! Zedler. <laughs> Still going well, I assume. Yeah. Zelda good. Hooray! Things were bad, uh, but now they're good. Forever! Since I have the day off, pretty much, I got out the PlayStation. I'm doing Blade of the Darkness again. How's that going? I'm in, I think I'm in the penultimate engine. Nice. Um, well, yeah, except I can't find one of the four bosses I need to defeat to move on to the next part. Less nice. <laughs> I, I call it Kafka's engine. I've been, I've walked through this. It's not a very complicated floor plan, but I've been over it like five times, trying to locate the last boss that is listed on this walkthrough I'm looking at. But they don't tell me where these guys are. Oh boy! This is not a. This is not a particularly well written walkthrough. Oh, that's the fun of when you're playing a game that, like, isn't completely unknown, but is not exactly a big uh, going concern. It gives me it gives me the information on the main set enemies for the area, how much hmm. experience, hit points, everything. I know that there's a Mimic Chest and a Gargoyle Lord somewhere on here. Mm -hmm. I need to destroy the Gargoyle Lord to keep going. I can't locate them. Hmm. And there is a room here that has two treasure chests. I can't reach them. Ah. Uh. And um, I have no clue as to how I should be reaching them. And Not typically every a game with hidden passages enemy... or anything? Or... Nope, checked. And this hmm. this game is old enough that it um, you can't run straight into walls. If you move hmm. into an immovable object, you just slide left or right. Yeah. 
so that'd be a fairly concise demonstration that no, it is it is not uh, an issue of uh, not not an issue uh, of that of in some a sort of, of that, yeah. hidden passage, yeah. Also, every single enemy mob, almost every single enemy mob in this level is stronger than some of the bosses. Oh, fun. I have yet to beat some of the random encounters available on this map. This sounds bad. I don't have anything more elegant to say. That seems just like kind of... A downer. <laughs> uh, Firemunner, we we don't have Street Fighter Six yet. Soon. It is not unlocked in the U.S. yet. Yes. <laughs> Another hour. I'd be playing it. Yep. Or half an hour in this case. But yeah, I I have it preloaded, so that'll be fun. Same. Though I probably will not be playing it tonight, but lots tomorrow for sure. I'll be playing it with someone after the podcast, presuming that they're still awake. <laughs> How presumptuous of you. No, no, they brought it up. So it's not my presumption, it's theirs. <laughs> presumptuous of them. I suppose. But yeah, very, very excited for that. I liked what I played of the beta. I liked what I played of the demos. So... Not play I, I'm just amused that they've <sighs> added on the RPG elements to the point where our site has to actually consider covering it. <laughs> I mean, World Tour mode does have a lot of leveling up and, I believe, equipment so and character customization. So, and I that's almost pretty just much we need right into an FOE. <laughs> Good work. Yeah, but yeah, that is that is basically. If someone really wanted to make a case for it, they probably could. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we've covered weirder things. It's true. It's true. And the the old site on the archives on the old site, we still have like Power Pro Coon Pocket Twelve <laughs> page for that, just because it has as its B side game an RPG. Oh uh, yeah, some of the some of the old uh, some of the old sports games uh, of the eight and sixteen bit era really liked to do that. There's a a line of games for the PC Engine that are just like here's a basic sports game, but stapled on to like. A like Dragon Quest, a joke, a jokey Dragon Dragon Quest knockoff RPG, except all the combat is resolved by playing the sport. <laughs> very, very strange choice, but I mean they're cute. Um, uh, let's see. Um, as for me, I've been I've been playing Legend of Heroes. That's that's all there is to say. Um, just about done with chapter six, and after mm. that there will be a finale chapter, and then I'll be able to move on to Cold Steel 2. What you gotta say, Wheels? You got something to say? No, no, I got nothing. Summer of Falcom! It's coming. Summer of Falcom, as long as you don't get distracted by Etrian. I won't. Yeah, mm. Summer of Falcom. It's gonna be way better than the Summer of George. George is getting upset. 
Of <laughs> George. You remember that from Seinfeld? What's that? No, I didn't watch Seinfeld that much. My my first thought was Summer of Sam. Oh uh, no. Mm -hmm. I I forget what the actual impetus for the Summer of George even was. It probably wasn't a good impetus. I don't no, remember. Of course either. not. What's <laughs> that show now? Uh, I've actually been rewatching Always Sunny. That's been good times. Yeah, I started doing that too. <laughs> I got to the Christmas episode and I was struck once again by how much it was designed to essentially be completely unairable. <laughs> God, I just watched the Flipadelphia episode. Flip, 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 Flipadelphia. <laughs> I love how at the end of that, they like they poison D, yeah, and <laughs> they, they don't, then don't even the go. Ep <laughs> yeah, they don't go to Philadelphia. But I think the thing that's the funniest part about that scene to me is they poison D, and then in the next scene, she doesn't even seem upset by it. <laughs> like she's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling, I, I'm not up to it. I'm feeling sick because they poisoned me. <laughs> Just absolutely, like, not even angry. Just like, yeah, no, I'm just, I'm not feeling good because they poisoned me. <laughs> it happens. Incredible. It's just, it's something that has happened on more than one occasion, and she's just kind of used to it. Let's see. Oh my god, we killed Kenny. We're bastards. And also, okay. the Rowdy Rowdy Piper episode. The first <laughs> one. The Maniac. The Maniac. Just know that the Maniac loves you. <laughs> We don't. We don't love the maniac. He's a strange man. <laughs> I love when he comes back for the multi-level marketing episode. God. Okay. Uh, I don't want to get too stuck on that. Um, let's see. Uh, but yeah. So so you know what I've been playing has not changed, and soon it will be leavened with heavy amounts of Street Fighter Six. Which uh, looks very good. Uh, reviews are very positive. That means essentially nothing for a fighting game because mm -hmm. fighting games are all about their the ongoing support. Like the one kind of live service quote unquote game that I'll play, even though I basically just pick up whatever packs of characters they release every year, and that's good enough. Mm -hmm. uh, but put simply, they, there's just not really a there's very little value in early reviews other than in case to check whether there's been just a total disaster on some level. But, yeah, it, it seems fun. All the characters seem to have new moves, which is often something that they're hesitant to do. Uh, Ken's got some weird, like, takeoffs on his, like, crazy kicks, and Ryu's got the uh, dungeon charge. Uh, I don't know. It's it's fun. Uh, it doesn't feel like when you look at the past few Street Fighter games. Uh, when you go back to four, you can see a series that was like very much trying to assert that you should still care about it because you remember Street Fighter Two from twenty years ago. <laughs> uh, and so uh, that game has all the Street Fighter Two characters in it. But there's also just obvious signs that they don't care about some of them. They're just in there to say that all of them are in there. And so you get characters like Portihawk and DJ, where uh, 
DJ just kind of sucks in every version of Street Fighter 4 that he's in, but not badly enough that they felt like they had to do anything about it. And so he ends up being this kind of character that I remember the, the biggest meme about how much that DJ sucks in the last version of Street Fighter 4 is that he has a normal that the, the point of the attack in terms of why you would use it is that it forces a crouching character to stand. So the idea is that you would use it to start combos that uh, require you to hit above where their uh, crouching hurtbox is. But the force stand normal misses on crouching opponents for almost the entire cast. Like, the only people that it actually hits are characters who are already ridiculously tall like Hugo. Uh... You just had some characters floating around uh, Street Fighter 4 that just sort of were like that. They were just sort of in there because they had to be in there. And then in 5, they kind of jettisoned the idea of putting in characters just because they had to. Uh, but you've still got like some new characters that are just extremely questionable ideas, like Fong. Which is just one of those characters that I look at and I'm like, you seem like you would have been considered racist in 1992. I don't know what you're doing in 2017. Oh uh, because he's he's like he looks like a 50s yellow peril villain. Oh good. Uh, like if you actually look at him, uh, and so they've they've kind of like they had good new characters in five, but they also had some just deeply regrettable ones. With six, the the new characters seem like actual good ideas. The old characters seem like they've actually got ideas for them. So, you know, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited. And it's also the first time that they let themselves set a game after Street Fighter 3 Third Strike for deranged lunatics like me that care about the canon. Yeah, I'm very curious about that, actually. Do, do you need me to lay out the order of operations here? Yes, please. Street Fighter 1, Street Fighter Alpha 2, Street Fighter Alpha 3, uh, Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo, all the other versions of Street Fighter 2 are not canon. Uh, Street Fighter 4, uh, all, all versions of that are, I believe, telling the same story. Uh, Street Fighter 5, Street Fighter 3 Second Impact, Street Fighter 3 Third Strike, those are two different stories, and now Street Fighter 6. Okay. EX is banished off into an alternate universe, which is why it's allowed to have all those characters that Capcom doesn't own anymore, uh, with names like Doctrine Dark and Crackerjack and Skullomania. Those all got uh, pushed off into the fighting EX layer uh, universe as of now. So that's uh, that's your Street Fighter crash, uh, Street Fighter order crash course. Uh, Capcom doesn't like releasing sequels in ways in, in number order that makes sense. Up next, we will uh, next week we will discuss how for approximately uh, nearly ten years, every Resident Evil game and spinoff took place within a six month period. Huh. Incredible. That six-month period was in the future when Resident Evil 1 came out, and far in the past by the time they finally moved on from that with Resident Evil 4. 
Okay, let's hit some additional things. Someone retranslate Ace Com retranslated Ace Combat 3 for some reason. It's about time that a new Ace Combat should have been announced, but none have happened, so I probably will just replay 3. They announced uh, Ace Combat 8 a while ago. It's just that they don't have anything to show of it. Uh, and the, for some reason, is because Ace Combat 3's original translation essentially threw out large portions of the game. That's not good. Yeah, it was one of those things where they just sort of took a hatchet to the entire plot and just sort of did whatever. So I can see why they did that. Buy the classic costumes, you coward. I mean, I don't know if those are purchases or they're labeled outfit too. I don't know if they come with the game or if you have to buy them. If you have to buy them, I'll probably buy at least a few of them. Uh, anyone here going to buy the new fighting EX, uh, the new EX layer? It sounds like it will be released in the next one and a half years, except uh, expect Arika to spend zero cents on promoting it. Arika doesn't have a lot of money to spend on promoting it, so I don't blame them for that. Uh, do we count Operation Raccoon City? It is non-canon. Uh... Oh, someone had retranslated the original AC3. I assume that there's some like broader question about why it was retranslated again. Uh, I'm not... I've I am reasonably plugged into Ace Combat fandom because I know several huge Ace Combat fans, but I'm not hugely plugged in, so that's uh, that one's just going to be mysterious to me. We'll leave it at that. Uh, let's see. Oh, and someone, uh, Fireminer brings up someone translated the PS2 version of Monster Hunter 2. Yeah. Which, yeah, I saw that floating around. Uh, I'm not sure. Like, that's probably more fun to play than emulating the PSP version, but ultimately it's... No. <laughs> no, I'd, you're better off emulating the PSP version. Oh, wait, that better one probably controls. still has the right analog stick. Yes, I have... I own, that's the attack. I own Monster Hunter 2 for PS2. Yeah, you're broken like that. Yes. It is not fun to play. Okay, hit one more of these questions that happened before we started. Would you buy Persona One Q One and Two again if they ported it to the Switch? Have you put your 3DS in the attic yet? Yes, and then I proceeded to show off a stack of 3DSs. Of course you did. <laughs> Do you mean 3DS consoles or 3DS games? 3DS consoles. Oh Jesus Lord! How many do you own? Seven. And seven. Ridiculous. Yes, they were cheap, man. They were cheap. <laughs> no, no, I don't want the answer to that. I think I just destroyed your brain. I'm. It's it's making me question some things. Uh, listen. And say you, it's nothing that you haven't questioned before with wheels. Yeah, but it's it's hitting all at once like a ton of bricks. I mean, or, I mean, a, a ton it, of 3DSs. It looks Same bad difference. now, but, I mean, back, it? In, back in the day, it's like, oh, 50 bucks, grab another 3DS? Sure, why not? I guess I can eat this someday. I mean, are they regular? I, I mean, I know you were talking about... I'm sure there are many they were, are, they, are any of them actually decorated versions, or are they just regular? Yes. Uh, so I have... I think... So I have a original model 3DS, a Japanese original model 3DS that was for the first 
Dragon Quest Monsters remake. Terry so it, it does have a themed cover on it? Yes. Okay, that's marginally I have, more defensible. I have a Monster Hunter 4 3DS XL. Which, Fair enough. Yeah, uh, I remember when you bought that, actually. Yes, and then I have a generic 3DS XL because I was always scared to take the Monster Hunter 3DS XL anywhere. Because it's pretty. Okay. And then That's fair, I suppose. I have the new 3DS, not XL, just the new yeah, 3DS. Yeah, nice. With swappable faceplates, and I think specifically I have Monster Hunter faceplates that were hard to track down, yeah. The Monster Hunter 4 faceplates, which were difficult to find. And then, let's see. I have a 2DS, which was a Japanese 2DS, which I got on eBay for, I think, 30 bucks. Fuck, I remember when you did this. Yeah, (laughs) it was super cheap. Like a decade's worth of memories are all flooding back yes. at once. I have a Japanese and US 2DS XL because they're nice little systems. And I got the Japanese one first because I wanted a nicer Japanese 3DS than the original model one. And then I liked it a lot. So, yes. That one I'll give you. Buying the US one of that, stupid. Ah. A lot of these, I can say, yeah, this is like a little collector thing. Some of them, it's just like, yeah, that was dumb. So, yes. Do I have too many of them? Absolutely. Were a few of them collector's items? Yes. And a few of them were just like, this was super cheap and it was fun to mess around with. So there you go. On the plus side, sometime in the future, you can have an all-family Pokemon party. True. I think the thing that strikes me the most when I think about this is that I'm not fully convinced that that's even all the ones you ever possessed. I think some of them might have been sold at some point. That is true, yes. Uh, But the ones I no longer have are two. Uh, The original 3DS, like launch model. Yeah. um, I got rid of, and... I had a 3DS XL, not the new 3DS XL, yeah. just the 3DS XL, which when the new 3DS XL came out, I actually donated it to a charity. Oh, that was a good use. And I think the OG 3DS I gave to my sister. <sighs> so there you Let's go. See. My mountain okay. of stupid 3DSs. It's not the most embarrassing thing it's that you still own, so... Only two of... Two to three of which get any regular use. So I've got yeah. one that sits on the... Yeah. Uh, oh, and Fireminer asks if you have yeah, a Circle Pad Pro. No, not anymore. I, my, I still probably have one lying around my parents' place. I never got yeah. rid of it. I think I had that, and I think I had the one for the XL as well. I didn't even know there was a Circle Pad Pro for yeah. the XL. I think that one you can only buy direct from like Nintendo's online store. Would not surprise me. That's yeah. probably quite expensive now if you find the right buyer. Probably. 
yeah, sadly, sadly, the days of being able to get all kinds of 3DS stuff on the cheap is kind of past. rapidly going away. Like one of the reasons I got a Japanese 3DS was because you can get all kinds of cool Japanese 3DS games incredibly cheap. Like I think I got. They think the Dragon Quest, the two Dragon Quest monster games were like 20 bucks each mm-hmm. from a U.S. Can seller. You... Say, yeah. Let me know if there's anything else that you want me to look for. Uh, I'll have to think about that. But I mean, yeah, uh, it was the 3DS era was wonderful. Uh, there were some, some, shit. some there good were, shit there. There were tons of games. I mean, the retail price of a new 3DS game was 40 bucks. A lot, a lot were 30 bucks. Uh, I mean, that's just that's why I ended up with so many 3DS games. Too many to play, obviously. You know, a mountain of veteran games. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, I don't think, I don't think a lot of us fully appreciate how good it was and how the switch hasn't really recreated that same goodness which which same goodness just the first person dungeon crawlers or just um i i i I don't even know what specifically i just feel like there were a lot of weird experiences just by nature or just like cool features that you know can't necessarily be recreated on the switch in general, I think that the Switch usually produces its, enough of its own unique features that it's a wash. Yeah, probably. But, uh... Oh, a fuck you, game. <laughs> Why does every game have to have mimics? I'm not a fan of mimics. Uh, yes. Uh, <coughs> but yeah, I, um... I'm actually trying to find... Don't shoot me. I'm trying to find another 3DS because I want one of each model, and I no longer have the OG XL. Unfortunately, like I said, the days of getting those things on the cheap are long past, so it's not really going to happen. Again, if you want me to just search the used stores over here and see what I can price. Yeah, sure. As long as you can... Give me a reference picture to, so I can make sure I know which version you're talking about. Just the oh, so it would just be the 3ds LL over there. Yes, LL. Okay. Yeah, as opposed to the new 3ds yeah. LL. Yeah. Check it out sometime. And it'd be. I, I mean, I don't want. I'm not looking for like something themed with Zelda or anything like that. I'm looking for. It's the cheap. Just a console. Yeah. Because, I mean, I mean that is one I would actually use because I feel like that one hit like this perfect form factor that the newer ones didn't. Because it, like, it had the stylus on like the right-hand side, which for me was just like the perfect spot. And just the weight of it was perfect. And then just the new 3DS XLs never felt quite as good. So I honestly regretted getting rid of that 3ds xl a lot yeah 3ds i love the 3ds a lot can tell (laughs) (laughs) 
All right, somebody else talk. No. Um, let's see. Uh, so I don't even know how to go uh, beyond that. So we're just going to hit Pyminer asked uh, something Gaijin might know. Do they sell arcade boards in Japanese retro game stores? Um, in the regular stores, no, but if, I'm sure if you went through Akihabara, you'd find a couple places. Mm -hmm. That's about what I'd expect. Let's see. Okay. So, uh, there are some questions that Fireminer left us last week that we needed to get back to, so I'm going to go run in and check those so that we do not It's one of them, them. Why did wheels waste so much money on 3DS systems? No, that's next week. <laughs> um, I figured the answer was self-obvious. Self-evident. Self-evident, whatever. Say you have a lot of money and you don't mind spending it. I don't have a lot of money and and <laughs> I mean it's not like I went out and was like Hello, store clerk, I will take five three DSs, please. This is over the course no, you, you of you built up to this. You definitely yes, built up to this. This is over the course of a decade. <laughs> it does creep up on you. So yeah, if you if you look at it as oh you have seven 3ds's it seems really dumb but if it looks at, you look at it like oh you have seven 3ds's that you occurred over the course of a decade and some of them were you bought for less than a hundred bucks then it looks less bad that's all i'm saying true, true. I mean, also at the same time, I've sold like every, almost every other retro console I've owned, so. There you go. No longer have a Saturn, Super Nintendo, Genesis, all gone. Like dust in the wind. Yes. Carry on my way. Wait, different song. Um, let's see. Okay. Can the phrase absence makes the heart grow fonder be applied to Tony Hawk or any video game franchise for that matter? I still remember how people complained between 3 and American Wasteland that Tony Hawk games would become either so unimaginative or a mess. Now imagine Neversoft did not make a new Tony Hawk game for the next seven years and instead worked on something. What would have happened if they had released a game that was essentially identical to 3 except for the graphics and soundtrack? Wouldn't the complaints die down because everyone's just glad to have a new Tony Hawk game to play? If you want the answer to that, see how rapturous the response was to the Tony Hawk 1 and 2 remake from approximately two to three years ago. Um, yeah, I mean, people will burn themselves out on something and then get annoyed that it keeps happening. It is, it is known. Uh, I, I think that, you know, there's other aspects to this because... Uh, Typically, there's really only so much you can keep bringing to the table between features and level design for, uh, you know, features, level design, story design, you know, any for any franchise. Like, eventually, you're just going to sort of run out of things to do without having a long time to think about it. <laughs> and that's definitely something you can start feeling with Tony Hawk sometime around Underground 2 or American Wasteland, where you start getting uh, additions to the feature set that, while they exist as 
things that skateboarders do sometimes. They don't add anything to what you as a player in the skateboarding video game can do. Like, no one was getting anything out of Nada Spins and Bertleman slides in those later games in terms of how they could really add to their combo. They were something you had to think to do because the game would tell you to do them sometimes. Uh, like, f feature creep, I think, uh, in that sense, is actually something that that kind of annualized game suffers from a lot. You see it a lot with uh, sports games as well, mm -hmm. where they'll, they'll justify it. What's that? It, they have to somehow justify having another version already. Yeah, they have to. They have to make it seem like they're rethinking some like core aspect of the simulation, which is why you'll get, uh, like why sports games tend to have like all sorts of features that get like a lot of emphasis for like one or two years and then sort of just sort of stick around in the background and get de-emphasized, but they can't get removed because then it would seem like they were regressing from the previous game. So they're just there and maybe they get turned off by default, but they're options and they don't really work very well anymore, but they're still there because they can't go away. <laughs> Do it like FIFA, take away features, and then return them, return to them as paid content. I think you can only get away with that if you're the base, if you're like the one licensed game based off the most popular sport in the world. Um, but yeah, uh, you, you can definitely see like uh, this kind of thing also tends to cause like later games in this kind of annualized thing to get reappraised a lot after they stop. Uh, making games in that franchise for a while. Uh, later, the later Tomb Raider games uh, from that initial like five and five years that Core Design did. The later Resident Evil games on the PS One when Capcom was doing more than one a year. Uh, like those generally have much stronger. Uh, more individual followings now than they did back in the day where there was a lot more consensus of like, these ones feel tired and no one wants to play them. These ones are the good ones. Uh, they they tend to produce differing fandoms than what they might otherwise have. Uh, it's, it's, it's a weird... <laughs> it, it's one of those things like, you know, if if people have just new things to play constantly it both gives them a chance to see where the development team is having to cut corners to get things out on time like as the publisher demands excuse me i'm about to sneeze excuse me um thank you uh they, they can see where the developers are having to cut corners but they also have like paradoxically less time to think about what the uh, individual games are doing well. Like what about them does manage to stand out because it's like, while they're still in that annualized cycle, it's just like, here's a bunch more, here's another one. So like, you don't have time to like sort of ruminate on what each individual one brings to the table. And sometimes you'll ruminate on it and find that they don't really bring much to the table, but sometimes, you know, you'll find fan favorites in ones that were initially uh, sort of treated as disposable. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, I, I think that 
you can you can even see this in uh, franchises that people that are typically universally loved. Like uh, there was a period of a couple of years where there was a a new new Super Mario Brothers game every year. Uh, and people started to get real, real tired of them by the time the last one, New Super Mario Brothers U, came out. And, you know, there, there was just very little kind things said about New Super Mario Brothers U or New Super Mario Brothers 2 at the time because people were just sort of sick of them. But you go back to them now, and, like, New Super Mario Brothers 2 is not the most beloved thing in the world, but it does have... Uh, it does have more fans than it once did, and it is a game that is solidly uh, gets a bit more respect now, just because it was a game that was designed to help new team members learn how to make Mario levels. Like that was an avowed aspect of its development. And then you know, New Super Mario Brothers U, when it got re-released, people sort of started to reappraise it as like, oh, this is one of the best 2D Marios, even if we were tired of those at the time. Which one? Uh, uh, New Super Mario Brothers U. Oh, yeah, the game is wonderful. Yeah, it's one of my favorite 2D Marios. Yeah. But people were very sick of New Super Mario Brothers at the time because they had done like three or four of them in the space of like three or four years. Uh, and of course, now we don't get them anymore. Yeah. Uh, those... There, there was not a 2D, a unique 2D Mario on the Switch. There's Super Mario Maker 2, which has that many levels in it, but uh, in terms of the pre-built levels made by the developers, but you know, it's not arranged in the structure of the game. They're just levels. Uh, and uh, there was New Super Mario Brothers U Deluxe, but you know, that's that's mostly just a uh, port of the Wii U game. Let's see, yeah. Nintendo overexposed 2D Mario once again during. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember? Um, I forget which publication put it out. Maybe it was IGN put out like a. It was done by Jeremy Parrish. Did like a top ten. Yeah, yeah, games. and he was definitely doing some trolling there. But I think uh, his love of New Super Mario Brothers U was also genuine, yeah. based on things he said over the years. Uh, but yeah, I do remember when that happened. Yeah. Uh, Let's see, Super Mario. But yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of like ones where, uh, like th this has become rarer just because the amount of games that can actually come out this often anymore has become so small, like yeah. so very small. Like Atelier. even the <laughs> yeah, Atelier, Atelier. I feel like. Atelier gets away with it because the people who play Atelier know that if they if Atelier isn't giving them that experience, nothing will. So even if there are There's ones that they in... don't. <laughs> Go ahead. There's that in... It's somehow they managed to at, at least make the story interesting for each iteration. Mm -hmm. Usually there have been a couple of major misses, and yeah, and the different subsets actually do have some drastically different mechanics involved. Mm, that's that's the other thing, is that when you get to a new trilogy, there's going to be like some big, exactly. bigger swings about what it's what's going to be going on with how that trilogy is different from the last one. I mean, just like taking the last two games in the series I've played, is like Rise of 3 and Sophie 2 have drastically different gameplay styles. Mm -hmm. Which helps, because like, because that's such a known quantity, people don't uh, you don't have because a 
trilogy is pretty much usually going to be done in three years because that's just how they how rapidly they release so it's like if you don't like this one wait a couple years there will be one you might like better <laughs> then there's also gusts usual uh, modus operandi of okay we spent a, quite a few years developing the first game we're going to be reusing that engine for at least the next three <laughs> yeah which helps keep them from dying more i mean <laughs> i mean going into the next series even Oh, yeah, definitely. You can reuse technology between series. In, one of the things I actually liked about Sophie 2 is that it actually made thematic sense in the story to see a lot of recycled graphical assets. Mm-hmm. You recycled from previous games, quite obviously. <laughs> and considering where the story takes place and how the world is supposed to have come about in that game, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah, what was I going to say something about it? I'm trying to think of other then games. We come that... with uh, Atelier Marie next month, and that's a complete, a different, completely different game. Mm -hmm. Style uh, game. I think, uh, even though they were never released as frequently as yearly, I think. Uh, the the traditional Zelda formula games prior to Breath of the Wild uh, are, are starting to see this, where like you see people sort of going back to some of the ones that were considered disappointments at the time among the hardcore fans, uh, and seeing people be uh, a little a little kinder in their uh, reference in their uh, retrospective. Uh, examinations because there's not another one on the horizon anymore <laughs> uh, i've been seeing some very interesting little indie games uh, copying different styles mm. even when i've been paying attention to that's uh, very obviously been based on legend of zelda 2 for combat mm -hmm. style Ugh. it looks really good oh. i mean it wouldn't be that hard to improve on zelda 2 Fireminer I mean, says basic concept was good, it's just the implementation, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of uh 2D platformer action RPGs on the Japanese PCs of the era. There's a lot of that kind of game some floating around somewhere. It's just not a lot of them in English. Uh let's see. Fireminer says Legend of Heroes has some signs that fans are suffering from franchise fatigue just based on the Kudo releases for God's sake. Well, we're getting a we're getting a year off from Kudo for East 10 Nordics. I guess we'll see if they uh, end up taking 2024 off as well. Uh, I suspect by that point they'll be at the very least getting ready to release a Switch version of Kudo 1, so I guess we'll see. Uh, but yeah, we're we're getting some time off for uh for from Kudo for a bit, which I mean by the point that Kudo three is coming out, I'll hopefully be at the point where I'm ready to play Kudo one and hopefully it'll actually be out. So by that point I'll have a lot of time between Legend of Heroes games, and I will be wandering the world like a lost soul. Um, but, yeah. Uh, 
oh, that's what it's doing. Um, but yeah, this this sort of thing, you know, it's you know, you you don't know what you got till it's gone. Even if what you got is uh, annualized or near annualized releases in a uh, big budget franchise. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it really just needs to take a break. Yep, it is absolutely nightmarish to think that uh, we are now at a point where, like, between Final Fantasy games, that mainline Final Fantasy games, it takes like six years. When you look at the Super Nintendo or PlayStation, where it was uh, a year or yeah. a year and a half, <laughs> at least part of that was simply the localization. Yeah. It was. It was. It did not take as long to make games once upon a time. <laughs> okay. To hit some when more those of these. three games are so thematically and structurally and mechanically different as Final Fantasies four, five, and six. Yep. Or seven, eight, and nine. <laughs> Do yes. That's... Eleven, twelve. Oh. Yeah. Although those took a little longer between each other. I mean, not not necessarily for all the same reasons. Oh, definitely not. Uh, man, they announced those on like the same day. That was a really ballsy move that ended up doing ended up not being great when FF12 missed its intended 2003 release date by two years, <laughs> which seemed like an in incredible delay at the time. Okay, uh, moving on. <laughs> We've got, we've got some more questions in the Discord. Besides the open-world design language that Horizon Zero Dawn has, is there any reason why so many people I know just felt burned out playing those two games? Ooh, uh, ooh, 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 me, me, me. You, you talk Horizon in specific, and I'll talk open-world games that tend to get fatigue responses. Okay. Uh, so... I'll just listen. The reason the first game was so good... To me, it had nothing to do with its open world design. It had to do with the story. And that the seemed to be the thing people liked the most. Yes, the you could have slotted that game into a linear context, and it would have worked. Yes, the story was very good. The battle mechanics were very good. The world building was cool. I engaged as little as possible with I could with the open world. It was boring to me and also given it's more rpg nature there were actually areas that are were essentially gated based on what level you were because they might as well have been linearly locked off yes <laughs> so it kind of played more like a linear game honestly and i was fine with that because the open world wasn't that interesting and some of the other parts were bad like Jumping and trying to play it like climbing. an open world game was by by all accounts trying to play it like an open world game was generally like playing against its strengths. Yeah, like its strengths, like I said, story, combat. You know, uh, I was within depth combat yes. before <laughs> the sequel came out. I was honestly, I, I thought the idea of doing a better open world would have been great. Like they, there were even like some trailer shots that definitely seemed like callbacks to callouts to uh, Breath of the Wild. So imagine <laughs> my disappointment when I picked it up and it felt like just more of the same. 
mm-hmm. uh, which isn't the only reason I think people are burnt out from it. I just think the original is like it's an old design. Mm-hmm. And I really, like I said, I really think it got by because other parts of it were just so good. Like people really liked that story. They liked that character. They liked the world and the combat. They liked the world, even if they didn't like exploring yeah. it. <laughs> if you go back and see people talking about that game and see, maybe even find like streamers of, of it and stuff, I don't think you're going to find a lot of people doing the kinds of things you often see in a good open world game that is doing exploring and looking for secrets and stuff like that. I don't think you're going to find a lot of that. And I think that says a lot. So yeah, I think, I don't think I was unique in my reaction to the sequel. And then it just felt like an old game and not in a good way, not in like, Oh, this, this is a cool throwback in a, oh, people have figured out how you to haven't do this moved way on better. Yet. Yes. People have figured out how to do all this way better, and you're stuck here. Yeah, you've made it prettier, but whoop-de-doo. Whoop-de-doo. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> that's not, not to say, enough. yeah, that's not to say it's, it's not a bad game. Listen, I'm going to go back and finish it at some point. It's, it's, a, it's a fine game, but there are so many games out there now that I mean, that was enough for me to just put it away. and that You've got a lot of else to play. Yeah, and anyone who's listened to the show and has heard how much I extolled the praises of the first game, that should be shocking. Because <laughs> it was <laughs> shocking to me and incredibly disappointing. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't even know if burnout is like the right word for it. I just think that... The like it that is a game that doesn't need to be an open world game, and no one really gave a shit about the fact that it was an open world game. Like it, I don't know. Um, I hope that they can correct the ship for whatever comes next. Um, Further DLCs, I believe. Yeah. So we'll see. And, you know, I don't know if it's on them. Maybe they had a mandate that, you know, this is going to be on the PS5. It needs to look a lot better. And maybe that hampered what they were going to do. But, I mean, you look at that and you look at Tears of the Kingdom and the time between the two, the games and their sequels is almost exactly the same. And it's the difference in quality between the two is honestly shocking because these are both first party games both like money dumped into them and yeah like the the difference in quality between those two sequels is astonishing Mm -hmm. Uh, and it doesn't really give me a lot of hope for I don't know. Hope hope's not the right word. It doesn't give me a lot of confidence in excitement or <laughs> excitement in Sony's first party games going forward at all. They're they're very templated very at this template. stage. Yeah. And again, like I like to keep pointing out, whenever someone tries to compare consoles, Sony began as a hardware company. Yeah. And this really is reflective of that philosophy, whereas Nintendo was a toy company. Oh, it it really 
it's interesting to see how many things you can just tie back to the company's own origins and how they handle things. Mm-hmm. So uh, the first emphasis is always going to be technical in some way. It's it's also they're they're very tied in the blockbuster mindset. Uh in a in a very like you need it to be more bombastic than the last one. It needs to be more cinematic than the last one. Nintendo's like, is this fun? Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah, let's P- pitch a pitch a concept and then wrap a game around it. Um, so the the other part of this also Joe says that he doesn't see street fighting. We probably won't be street fighting tonight, yeah, so don't yeah, worry about Joe, it. I'm not going to be uh-huh. playing it tonight. I don't. I don't want to try and start digging into it when on when stream. Not, yeah, when on stream or just in general, like I'm not going to be able to play a lot of it tonight, so it's it's not happening. But yeah, what I was going to say was uh, I think the, I think the broader issue that comes with uh that causes like more broad open world burnout probably comes down to just the way that people uh like i think i've complained about this before the the classic the the ubisoft towers that people had where it's like go to the waypoint that exposes a bunch of the map and all and suddenly there's all the icons that you care about on the map and it's like I it it leads to this giant undifferentiated mass of stuff to do that doesn't do a good job of clarifying what the player should care about doing. Mm. And so you end up with you get there and there's a mi- a single like story mission or two story missions, and then just dozens of like minor side missions and collectibles and for a lot of players especially people who play a lot of open world games the instinct is okay i go pick up the collectibles because those are quick and they help me learn the lay of the land and then i do the side missions because those need because i'm not going to want to come back here to do them and then i do the main missions and that means that like any progress or momentum of the main campaign is blunted by busy work where the player is prioritizing things not because they will be fun but because they will be the most efficient way to clean up content and you see that just over and over with kind of first or you know templated open world design there's a there was a very good video that one of the producers on Dragon Age Inquisition talked about about how the way they designed some of the first areas in Dragon Age Inquisition is really bad, like as far as he was concerned, because basically they made this giant area and then they started putting stuff in it so that it wouldn't feel empty. And they just put more and more stuff in it until it felt like there was enough stuff, but they didn't think about how the player was going to interact with all that stuff and how a lot of players were just going to like get to the get to this opening area and have all sorts of content to do and feel compelled to like okay I need to do this area before I move on to the other areas where there was more impactful and interesting content and a lot of players ended up stopping there because the game did not create an impetus to go and play the content that was interesting 
And so I should tell them that, hey, you need to actually get moving. Yeah, they tried to fix this as much as they could post-game by just essentially patching in dialogue of characters saying, we should go do X thing that is actually related to the story. <laughs> just as a way to try to get players to do more stuff. Uh, to play the parts of the game that were better. And it, you know, it, it was like, it, it, you see this happen with these kinds of open world games. Like, players will get to a point where they're not having fun doing the side content. And instead of deciding that they will do the main story content because the main story content is more interesting, they'll just stop playing. Uh, and you see, like, this kind of behavior exists in a lot of different axes with how people interact with games. Like, you'll definitely see games where people will play on difficulty modes that are too hard for them. And instead of going down to an easier difficulty mode, they'll just stop playing. Uh, because they, they don't want to feel like they, like they played a lesser game, which is why, like, games eventually started doing all, everything they could to either take difficulty essentially entirely out of the player's hands or to try to not frame it so much as easy, normal, hard, where hard is the most legitimate form of the game. Like, they, they specifically moved away from ways that would frame it that way because it, it just stopped players from playing the game, if they hit a roadblock, they would just stop. Let's see. Uh, will AC Mirage be Ubisoft's realization that they screwed up the open world genre? I think they figured that out a little while ago, which is why they aren't coming out with near as many of them as with such rapidity. I don't know if they know how to fix it. Uh, I, in fact, I would argue that they very specifically don't. But... Uh, it's. Uh, I, I think they definitely are aware that uh, the genre is sick, and it's partly their fault. <laughs> uh, okay. Let's hit some more of these uh, questions in the Discord. Recently talked about how video game discourse is among the last cultural projects that still gives us a sense of mass participation. What are some examples of people successfully monetizing that discourse? Not talking about something like game FAQs selling ad space and user info. I'm talking about creating a parasocial relationship not so different from a cult. I've seen something like that with a few esports teams trying to turn their players into some kind of reality stars, influencers, influencers, etc. I mean, you know, any any uh, streamer is on some level individually monetizing that. Uh, the uh, parasocial relationship of watching someone play the new game that you're playing or wanting to play and then eventually you follow them uh, regardless of what they end up playing and you you get that sort of uh, you know you successfully monetize that and more more drastically you see uh, the rise of uh, streaming agencies uh, you see them a lot uh, in the uh, space of YouTubers with avatars, virtual YouTubers as they're referred to. Uh, those those have a whole uh, business model built around uh, making use of that uh, 
and you know making sure they play nice with companies to make sure that there's no issues with their uh with the people contracted by the company playing whatever new game is out which draws eyes to the stream which draws money to the company and to the individual streamer you know uh the the cycle of capitalism lives on forever uh the circle yeah. of cash, and it rhymes oh. us all. Oh, God. Okay, yeah, not, not, not interrogating that further. Yeah, no, but I get it. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. Th those would be, those would be, like, my, like, streaming culture is very much this. Uh, Esports e has not really... Has has some success on that, although it's also you know tying in with streaming culture because the people who are who I've heard of who do esports tend to be people who also stream. Uh, but the the other issue you run into with esports is uh, just that individual esports games, quote unquote, just don't last long enough. Yeah. Uh, you know, like you still it's have all of all market. Yeah, and you know, like someone could be really good at one game, and then like that game falls out of favor, and they're just they just either aren't interested or aren't good at whatever other games suddenly come into vogue, and so they're they're kind of out. Um, let's see. How long before we really have got indie developers turning themselves into YouTubers slash idols and development process into a reality TV show for anyone to see? Uh, we've got quite a bit of that, not the least of which is to say that Indie Game the movie is over 10 years old at this point. Uh, and like the, the people who really position themselves as sort of at the vanguard of Indie Games in the late aughts, early 10s... Uh, have all sort of collapsed in on themselves like dying stars already. Uh, your your Phil Fishes, your Jonathan Blows, like we're your Jason Roars, like these people that like I know who they are, and they were there was definitely or Ed McMillan, like I know who they are, and there was definitely a push to sort of like make them the sort of like uh, new Hollywood directors of the video game space. But, uh, like, there's a kind of a kind profound of... misunderstanding of what the video game space is. What's that? There's like a million other things. Like, the kind of person who's ready to do that, uh, in this day and age, who has access to as much of a bullhorn as you get just by being on the internet and making yourself known, uh, ends up essentially m mostly making themselves very difficult to deal with for anyone who is not very attuned to their brain wavelength, which is the politest way I can describe uh, how I feel about, mm -hmm. say, essentially it's any of the people I just listed. Dysfunction. Yeah, there's, there's basically... Uh, I'm not even gonna lie. I've fully... I've long since blocked uh, Jonathan Blow on Twitter because... He has extremely bad opinions, um, but yeah, like, and that's that's kind of the thing you end up with is that, like, you know, infamously, the the 
new Hollywood directors were known for being prima donnas who had very specific ideas of what they wanted and then when left to their own devices either made nothing or made things that only appealed to them. Uh, and if you had to listen to their opinions on things, you would kind of want to chew your own leg off to escape. And, I mean, yep. when... Huh? Yep, yep. Wait, yeah, I'm sorry, just agreeing. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, when you get to the... When you get to the indie space, you sort of the indie game, the the celebrity indie game dev space, uh, you you sort of saw that happen, uh, pretty pretty much, <laughs> like in in microcosm. Like it was it was never obviously to anywhere near that level, but it also meant that based on the time they were doing it, that they had much more of a capacity to just spew opinions and like weird brain rot at people, <laughs> and that that ended. Uh, that that ended away. Um, so yeah. Uh, anyone remember that one gaming YouTuber who started a cult in Germany? I only heard about it because I don't get a lot of exposition to or exposure, I should say, to uh, to uh, non-English YouTubers, and most of that is uh, YouTubers with anime avatars. So. Uh, it's it's one that I only heard of in passing, but we've got plenty of our own uh, homegrown uh, people using wielding their influence deeply questionably in English. So uh, I don't even have to; I can just already guess how it worked. Uh, see also the uh, Mr. Beast attempting to start essentially a company town, but for YouTube production. That's terrifying. Mm -hmm. Don't make company towns. Stop reinventing company towns. People keep reinventing company towns in script, and they're always bad. Stop doing that. They, they present it like, oh, this is this evolutionary new concept in corporate organization, and everyone else is like, no, no. This just means my boss owns my house. If I get fired, I'm also homeless. <laughs> you're somehow making the, ar the corporate arcologies of the Shadowrun series look preferable. <laughs> Compared to what you are showing us right now. Yeah. Let's that see. was a, and that's dystopia personified already. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. I once read what I called a pop Buddhist self help book that basically said that you can make your enjoyment of art better by maintaining a level of detach detachment from the cultural products you consume. How hard is it to do this with given video games given how much effort Commitment, personal investment you have to put in them sometimes. And yeah, that's, that's going to depend on the kinds of games you're playing. Uh, I am unconvinced that someone wanting to keep up with a games, games as a service, anything from Battle Royale to MMO, is fully capable of detaching themselves from it. But I mean, if you just decide, I don't feel like reading about reading previews on this. Uh, new single-player game that's coming out, I will just play it when it comes out and take it as it is. I think that's that's definitely achievable and something I've, in fact, done in the past. Uh, but, yeah, like, the, the part of the reason that companies try to... Uh, try to go for games as a service as a concept is this essentially pathological fear that uh, if they don't make you uh, constantly care about a game, maybe the next one or the next season you won't bother with. Uh, and so 
there is an active attempt by publishers to make it so that you can't play games without fully committing large portions of your life to them. Yeah, that's... Is that does work for a certain subset of the population. And that subset is wheels. Wow. I'm not even talking about him. No. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> He's got too much ability to self-reflect to make that work. <laughs> it's true, it's true. Wow. Okay. Okay, let's hit some stuff. Now that Metal Gear Solid Delta is a thing, should we talk once more about remaking flawed games instead of already great games? Also, MGS4 will forever be stuck on the PS3, right? I honestly think it might not be, just based on the fact that along with Metal Gear Solid Delta was like Metal Gear Solid Master Collection Volume 1, which contains Metal Gear 1 and 2, Metal Gear Solid 1, Metal Gear Solid 2, and Metal Gear Solid 3. It doesn't leave a lot for them to put in Metal Gear Solid Master Collection Volume 2 without doing 4. So, I think they might have an ambition to try that. As for MGS Delta, I mean, I don't even know what to say to that, because, like, there is, there is obviously the argument that, like, yeah, remake something that sucks instead of something that you definitely are more likely to fuck up than anything else. But also, like, that game sounds like it's str- very much straddling the line between being a remake and just being another remaster. Uh, because since this question was asked, it has been clarified that they are reusing the original voice track. Which huh. definitely it's limits what they can do. Uh, it's a great voice track, but the problem is that it com- it's extremely uh, limiting on what they can do, because a lot of that voice track is fairly keyed into uh, you know, sequences kind of have to land in the same order and they mostly have to combine, they mostly have to play out in the same way because the dialogue is talking about it. Uh, so if you're not going to re-record, you're not going to recast anyone, uh, this is especially an issue because some of the Japanese cast is dead. Um, and if they're not going to do any uh, re-recording, that means that it's actually very hard for them to even like just add stuff, because they can't just call in a dead guy and have him do more voice. And I don't know that they're quite crazy enough to try uh, AIing up some voice work, so... Uh, yeah. It means that we're, we're looking at a remake that essentially has to be extremely faithful in order to work. Um... So it's basically a Disney live-action remake, is what you're saying? Uh, kind of, except probably less unfaithful than that, because those are always stretched out to be like two hours, and most of those movies are barely 90 minutes. Um, let's see. Uh, what are the chances of the second volume just being MGS5, Portable Ops, Peace Walker, and the Acid Games? I mean, if you're just going to make it, like, whatever is easy to emulate, like, at least throw in Metal Gear Ghost Babel. At least you'll have a decent uh, game that most people haven't played. Um, if they put Portable Ops on there, I will honestly possibly not buy it on principle. <laughs> Legitimately one of the shittiest things I've ever played in terms of like just ill-conceived fundamentally 
And there's a reason that the only acknowledgement that Peace Walker has for it, even though theoretically both of them are kind of setting up the same beat in the overall Metal Gear timeline, is finally we can leave all that crap in San Geronimo behind us. <laughs> That's it. That's the only acknowledgement Portable Ops gets by Peace Walker, even though according to the timeline they take place like one after the other. God. God, I fucking hate up. Portable Ops. Absolute trash. God damn it. Sorry. Angry. Uh, okay. But yeah. Uh, I mean, those would be the ones that would be easy to emulate. Uh, I don't think you'd do it just because one of those is already available. One of those is beloved by no one. One of those is actually well-liked, and two of them are card games that you couldn't sell when they were new. <laughs> uh, so I, I feel like, while I think Konami's pretty ballsy, the return of Metal Gear and Silent Hill are supposed to be them trying to get fans to trust them again. And so I don't think if there was a Master Collection Volume 2 that did not have MGS4 but had those other products, I think you'd run into the issue of you kind of do the opposite of the entire purpose of the Master Collection existing. So between that and their relatively close ties to a number of companies that are relatively willing to f uh, work on impossible ports like or like troubled uh, code bases like Hexadrive, like Virtuous. I think they might actually have the appetite for MGS4. But we shall see. Uh, it's worth noting, uh, having replayed it about two years ago, that uh, it will be interesting to see how people react to MGS4 if it ever gets a re-release, because I think something that I did not remember is that that game runs like dog shit. Like, that is... That, that game just does not run well. <laughs> like, in a way that is that was honestly shocking to go back to, and it's like, oh, this game's usually running at, like, 15 to 20 frames a second. It's, a, it's a really weirdly poorly optimized game which for in retrospect for a game that was supposed to be the shining exemplar of how uh, impressive the ps3 was it does a really bad job of that <laughs> uh, and also there's just it's one of the most obviously compromised games i've ever seen uh there are entire gameplay systems that basically never get used uh because they were made, and then there was essentially never a scenario where they would matter put forward. I hate when that happens. It's it's an extremely strange game. Uh, I think it'd be interesting to see people go back to it. I kind of hope it gets re-released just on that basis, just to see. Because like, usually retrospective discussion of MGS4 is about its extremely controversial plot. Uh, but as a video game, it is a very strange mutant. Uh, if, uh, question 9 if Konami really wants a redemption arc shouldn't they start with something less ambitious like Castlevania uh, the issue with that is that like 
what do you do with that in a way like because they they want a redemption arc obviously but they want it with games that will sell and the very best selling castlevania games are ones that fans of the people who still care about the ip typically don't like like lords of shadow sold well fans of like ongoing fans of castlevania like the ones that you would theoretically be trying to please by making a remake or a re-release or a sequel they don't like those <laughs> they don't like that game uh so it's it's really hard to work out what you would do with that and you know as much as they want people to just trust them again there's also just the fact that there's not like there's not much there's not much there there's there's not much you there's not a huge existing fan base but there is one you can very much piss off like you know hitting a hornet's nest with a stick and seeing what happens uh it's it's not gonna end well <laughs> so i think they've decided that between the fact that castlevania as much as the show did well there's not really a game that would draw in fans of the show there's not really, like, it would be extremely high risk, and the obvious amount of reward is kind of low. Uh, I'm not sure what else they could really try. They're not going to, like, looking at their existing IPs, uh, they tried bringing back Contra as hell, some some sort of hell object uh, that was also like a more modernized game, and I don't think anyone else liked that more any more than I did. Uh, so, <laughs> don't know. Uh, Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Uh, like, they're they're not ever gonna fucking do. Uh, what was the name? Uh, they're not gonna do something like Goemon. That's way too fucking Japanese. Uh, a lot of their a lot of their other franchises I can think of that they might like theoretically bring back. It's like it was considered too Japanese to try to make their mass market come back with. Like. They went for Metal Gear and Silent Hill because those were games that could consistently sell more than a million copies and uh, that theoretically you could get some to come back for. Not, uh, it's, it's, it's calculated. It's, it's very clearly calculated. Um, just abandon eFootball and return to Pro Evolution uh, Soccer if all you care about is sales numbers. It's more complicated than only caring about sales numbers. They're looking for something that rebuilds their reputation and sells in the short term. And Metal Gear and Silent Hill are the options that could theoretically do that. I do think Pro Evolution Soccer was a like stronger brand that they probably shouldn't have dropped. I don't know why they decided to just call it eFootball. But because putting E in front of anything is cool, you know. Yes. I guess I don't know. I just, I it felt like that was pretty late to do that in the mid tens. But I'm your host E Wheels. 
was going to say that when did they ever do anything on time? That's fair. Probably took several years making sure that putting E on the front of something would actually make it seem cooler, not noticing that the trend was already changing. Let's see. Okay. Let's hit a couple more of these. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna skip questions ten and eleven on the basis that I do not know enough about structuralism and post-structuralism to make to give an intelligent answer on them. If someone if anyone here wants to try to take a swing at these, go ahead. Uh, but it's it's one of those things where like me spitballing is not a good idea here because I it, it is not a subject matter I can speak intelligently on. Uh, Say one we can all tear into. Hot discourse around Final Fantasy nowadays is, are the stories of Final Fantasy games too complicated for their own good? Am I too presumptuous to think that people just don't pay enough attention? I personally have no trouble following their plot lines. I don't think all of them are good, but they all have their own weird logic and a sense of thematic progression that you can just feel to make educated guesses about how the story will go. I don't think any of them are complicated in that... I don't think most any Final Fantasy game has a plot too complicated for a 12-year-old to follow. Uh, I, I think necessarily the best constructed plot. Yeah, I think I think what you see people saying is that the plots are too complicated when what they actually mean is that the plot fell apart. And a lot of times, uh, I mean, I, I like Final Fantasy VIII didn't support a lot of its plot twists well enough. Yeah, I, I would honestly be willing to make the argument that almost every Final Fantasy game plot sort of falls apart in a linear point-to-point -point narrative if you aren't willing to cut it some leeway and just follow it on the emotional beats. Uh, but not because For they're too complicated. There's just... Like yeah, the the structure just isn't very tight. And, like, that that's reached a point where, like, it was considered essentially an identity aspect of the franchise. You look at, hmm. like, FF9, and Ozma is there because as a, essentially as a call-out to the idea that Final Fantasy games just go kind of insane at the end. Uh, like, was it Ozma, or was that something else? Ozma was the option. Ozma was the bonus boss, but the, the, the final boss it's called. Necron, Necron, that's what it was. And yeah. The physical embodiment of the villain's death wish imprinted upon the crystal of the universe. Yeah. It's it's one of those things. They've that never actually like, called it that, but that's what effectively it was. Yeah. A lot better if they said that. Yeah, and it's one of those situations where like it's it's kind of in there just because it's it's callback to characters like Zeromus or very much or Cloud of Darkness or anything like that where it's just like at the eleventh hour there was something else you had to kill and it has a very strange connection to the cosmology. I think the trope was space flea or like. Yes, giant space flea. Yeah, that's generally what what people tended to nickname it. But in in a broader sense, it it almost seems like at least to Sakaguchi, there was a consideration that part of Final Fantasy's identity was just that the plot kind of went nuts at the end, and oh. what counts as the end kind of floats from game to game. Some games mostly can keep their plots together until the end game, and some of them kind of just sort of break apart about halfway through, depending. 
Let's uh, ride a but, giant whale-shaped spaceship to the moon. Yeah. Or whatever the hell is happening in FF13 after Chapter 11. Um, that was fairly organized. Um, it, it was organized, but it loses momentum. Yeah. Um, like I was saying, Final Fantasy 13 is definitely structured more like a novel and not a video game. Which yeah. is part of the problem is like the novel structure, it made sense to gate certain functions and things. It did. It did not make as much sense for a video game. Yeah. There's, there's just a lot of like uh, situations like that within the franchise where it's just like yeah, we we kind of reached a point where like thematically we need to get to point C but between limitations of the writing, limitations of space, limitations of practicality, we can't actually make point B so we need you to follow us from point A to point C based on the emotion and theme as opposed to what is happening on screen or uh, and you know that's I, I think that people kind of conflate that with complicated when in reality it's more just that it's like there's just weaknesses in the structure of the story mm hmm uh, if you want complicated, you go with Trails. <laughs> the, the, the A to Z story of Trails tends to be uh, relatively understandable, but you definitely going, are going to have a lot more details going on about why things are happening. <laughs> but let's see. Um, when it comes to the various plot lines in each Elder Scrolls uh, title, is it a case of quantity over quality? Uh, I've never followed a Elder Scrolls titles plot from beginning to end without getting bored and stopping, so I can't actually speak for it, but I think that might be a condemnation unto itself. Mm -hmm. I've known people who are really into Elder Scrolls lore. Uh, generally, they were people who were, like, childhood obsessives with, uh with Morrowind. Uh, shout out to a childhood friend of mine who I will preserve the privacy of by not saying the name. But, uh, yeah. Uh, in general, I, I feel like uh, people who get invested in Elder Scrolls stories are people who care a lot about lore. Uh, more than they end up like, the, the plots themselves have essentially zero emotional weight. So you have to be someone who cares a lot about lore and world building. And depending on the game, there can be a lot of quality of world building, and then there can be just a lot of fluff. So I suppose it depends on the Elder Scrolls game. In uh, an even more cursed timeline, Konami makes eFootball a cryptocurrency game. Yeah, if cryptocurrency hadn't uh, made itself a la laughing stock fa fast enough, they probably would have tried that. Uh, is there any boss in a turn-based games that are designed to always break its own patterns to wrong-foot the player? Uh, I can definitely think of ones that uh, if you get too good, or if you are too obviously exploiting their weaknesses, they start switching patterns. Yeah, but, but that takes a lot of extra programming, so they really depends on how big the pro the programmers are in messing with you. Yeah, and how much you want to devote that kind of resources to a single boss. Uh, 
I think it, it's kind of hard to... It's like, there's only so much you can do with this. It's like, if you change up the pattern in response to what the player is doing, congrats, in a week, the, the internet community will have figured out how the pattern can change and how to stop it. Or to exploit the new pattern. Like, that's just kind of... Or some things that they can do is simply uh, attribution for exploiting a potential weakness. Yeah. Do you remember Magimaster from Final Fantasy VI? I remember fighting it. I don't remember what it does. <laughs> Magi I mean, Magimaster is in a tower that is magic only. Oh, yeah, that thing. You cannot physically attack. <laughs> if you run out of MP, you die. Mm-hmm. Okay. But... You try casting Mute or Berserk, Magimaster, mm -hmm. will work, but then he will, in fact, beat you to a pulp because his physical attack power is a lot more than you would expect. Yeah, they've done that a few times where, like, because uh, I think Fork Tower in 5 has some of the same gimmicks. Yes. Um, what else was it? I cannot believe I actually did this as a kid, but... I managed to destroy Magimaster by making him run out of MP. That must have taken forever. 35 minutes. Sounds... Well, I mean, you were a I kid, mean, you probably I, I didn't have much smart. else to do. I should have just, just really played defensively and let him use up most of his magic points by himself before osmosing him to death. Because <laughs> um, Rasp and Osmos don't really take that much. Oh yeah, time. absolutely not. So even when he's uh, not doing a lot of damage, or even when he doesn't have a lot of MP to begin with, relative to his hit points, um, but just the fact that he casts Ultima when he dies. <laughs> oh, that's cruel. Uh, yeah, this is, this is a pretty hard thing to actually do, especially in a true turn-based system. You get a lot of bosses that can kind of banish characters out of the out of the combat based on uh, if they do something particularly heinous. Uh, that's about all I, I can think of. There's one random Japanese game where um, one of the bosses in this area it was um, basically a doll shaped like a doctor. Mm-hmm. And the way it worked was, or its gimmick, which was not explained at any point, but you kind of figured it out over the course of the battle. Gimmick was that it healed any time you healed. Mm. And, however, I only figured this out after I had spammed healing a few times. Oh no. And, it, and this boss healed every single time a, an individual was healed. Oh lord. <sighs> okay. Um, I remember this isn't something I ever actually saw, but I remember thinking that, uh, and I'm sure that I was hardly the only one thinking as a child, that the funniest thing I could imagine a turn-based game doing was having one boss that just didn't take turns. Just one boss that acted in real time. I always thought that would be the funniest thing imaginable. Still waiting for a game to do that. I'm sure someone will one day. So, Probably already has. Um, 
the uh, not real time system, but um. Oh, in failing, but it just sounds like um, you don't set Final Fantasy VI on strategy mode. Hmm. Kind of turn base. Hmm. About a Final Fantasy X too. Hmm. Never. I never could figure out how to change that over to strategy mode. Yeah, there's supposed to be a wait mode. Uh, I can never find it. Yeah. Because hell. Run away before you could locate the item in your inventory. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Let's hit a few more of these questions. Uh... Oh, there were a bunch of Spider-Man questions put in here for Wheels. Is Wheels still here? Wheels is not here because Wheels is, uh... Wheels is presumably dealing with child. Might end up saving some of these questions because Wheels is currently indisposed. Uh... Just died to the final boss second form in this game. Oh, fun. Uh, the, the Dragon of Darkness is, in fact, a big whopping dragon. That does tend to be the case. Won't stay dead. Mm hmm. Into the fact See. that I died on the second time. Can I hit a couple of the questions to keep up with our New Year's resolution? Uh, speaking of TMNT and live concerts, we brought we talked about that last week. Uh, anyone remember that time when they tried to air a Mortal Kombat live TV show and they had the temerity to not include gore in the '90s? I do. I believe that was Mortal Kombat Conquest. It's every bit as bad as that sounds. It's half bad martial arts exhibition it's not uh it's not what you want i do remember that i'm still uh incensed by looking at mortal Com at them releasing a video game called mortal kombat one <laughs> or you see it is the sequel to mortal kombat 11 but also, it is a new timeline and displacing Mortal Kombat 1 in that timeline, so now it's Mortal Kombat 1. I hate this. I hate it here. Um, Mortal Kombat re one. Okay. Uh, is Wheels back yet? Yep, I'm back. Wheels hey. is back. Uh, do you want to do a couple of these Spider Man questions and then save the rest for next week? Um, let's do one. Okay, do you have a specific one that you would like to do? No, I'll just grab the first one. Okay. If it goes Which obscure Spider-Man villain do you... What? I said if it goes quick, we can do another one. Which obscure Spider-Man villain do you want to appear in Spider-Man 2? Uh, the spot. I don't... I didn't know the spot was a villain before this movie. <laughs> Uh, you didn't know about the spot? No. 
<laughs> um. <sighs> that's a good question. Um. Um. I was, we might say some of the weird symbiotes, but I don't think they're going to do that. They'll save that for their own game. Yeah. Um, Mr. Negative. Even though he's not that obscure, but Mr. Negative. <laughs> that would be cool. Didn't he show up in the last one? I guess he can just come back. Oh yeah, oh in the game, right. I'm thinking, for some reason I was thinking he was asking. You were thinking like across the Spider-Verse? Yeah. Um, who's the water guy? Is it like Hydro or something? I think I know who you're talking yes. about. I only really know of him because he's on the he's in the Spider-Man ride in Universal. Hydro-Man? Something like that? Yeah. He's kind of stupid, Mega but... Mega Man villain. Uh, I, think, I think he could work in a video game. Make him team up with the Sandman. There you go. Um, Honestly, I prefer the Darkwing Duck version. Liquidator! Yeah, that's what I was thinking of as well. Red Goblin a- would be cool, but then you have to do Carnage, and you have to do go through it, so yeah, it's not going to work. But I enjoy. I would enjoy Red Goblin. The Roblin. Exactly. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, I've I've already spoken out in favor of uh, giving Jackson Wheel his debut his due. Yeah, last week. And I stand by that. I was I was correct, and you should all agree with me. Okay, but yeah, I think that's probably about it, at least for me for tonight. So. Let's hit the road on this. Uh, Gaijin, tell me about princesses. Yeah, sorry, I need to get my brain in gear here. Okay, so, it. Princesses of the Pizza Parlor for Kindle and Kindle Unlimited. If you enjoy tabletop role-playing games, if you enjoy watching other people play tabletop role-playing games, and I believe we've discussed the various aspects of streamer paraphilia <laughs> this podcast already so yes this is a thing that happens um, if you enjoy people's bad dice rolls and worse personal decisions and if you don't mind reading all this in narrative fiction format we have Princesses of the Pizza Parlor by Michael Yarimizu um, Y-A-R-I-M-I-Z-U on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited it is currently um, 11 episodes 3 side quests and a paralogue or I am not quite sure how many pages of material at this point. It's it's getting up there. <laughs> um, actually, especially with that paralogue, it's pretty long. 
Um, so, yes, so if you would like to uh, help a gaijin out, check, please check out Princesses of the Pizza Parlor. Again, that's Michael Yarimizu, Y-A-R-I-M-I-Z-U, Kindle and Kindle Unlimited. Thank you. Good luck. Uh, let's see. Um, as for uh, us, you can ask us questions like dear friend Fireminer has uh, by going to... You can ask them if you catch us while streaming, which typically happens every Thursday at or around uh, midnight Eastern, 9 Pacific, although we can be a little early as we were today. Or you can ask uh, under the comment section of this very episode. I forgot to check the comments. I will check them next week and make sure that I check back several episodes, as I usually do. It's okay. This week's um, went up a little late, so there probably weren't any. Okay. Uh, and you can ask us questions in the Discord. You can find them... Uh, you can enter the Discord by and going to the podcast section. You can enter the Discord by going to rpgamer.com and clicking on the community tab. That will give you a, a link to the Discord. It's a lovely place whether you want to ask us questions or not, but we do love questions. Uh, as for uh, anything else, uh, let's see. Um, Oh yeah, we also do shenanigans on Sunday nights. Last week, Wheels finished Resident Evil Village. Had a ball of a time doing that. And Ooh. this week, we'll be continuing the Capcom train by playing some Street Fighter VI. Yes, uh, I am hoping to uh, beat Wheels like a rented mule. So That's most likely what's going to happen. Tune in. <laughs> Enjoy. Um, but we'll see. Perhaps he'll surprise us all. Um, nah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Otherwise, my brain is slightly distracted by Street Fighter. Uh, but uh, you should also check out the RP Gamer streams where dear friend uh, Tam and many others also stream. Uh, there's usually something good for... Uh, there's usually something going on, and there's definitely something for anyone who likes RPGs at some point in the week. Give them a look. Uh, and give our dear friend uh, Smokin' Joe Gamer a look on Twitch and YouTube. Uh, he should have just finished Metroidvania. So I forget what uh, truly ridiculous theme he has going on for june i'm not sure if he's even mentioned it yet but you know they're always good uh they're always good times as streams and as mods so give them a look smoking joe gamer no 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 weird numbers that's spelled how you expect it and capitalized where it makes sense uh so you know give that a look on twitch and youtube but i think that resolves all of our plugging obligations so see you space cowboys see ya